their lies are catching up to them big time. Uh, you can only get away with this stuff for so long. This fraud is coming to an end. I'm telling you. When Michelle Obama, the former first lady, lies and exaggerates and distorts a history that we all know, when she does this, we see right through it. And even those who may have voted for her, who may even still like her, are going to start saying, enough is enough. With you, with Biden, with your husband, and this whole Black Lives Matter scam. Now, Michelle was on uh, one of the morning shows uh, promoting yet another product. I think this is some cartoon show that she's got over there at Netflix. And, uh, well, she went to the greatest hits. Many of us still live in fear as we go to the grocery store or worry about walking our, our dogs, walking our dogs or allowing our children to get a license. I mean, just imagine. Aren't your girls right driving? Now, they're driving. Yeah. But every time they get in a car by themselves, I worry about what assumption is being made by somebody who doesn't know everything about them. The fact that they are good students and polite girls, but maybe they're playing their music a little loud. Maybe somebody mm -hmm. sees the back of their head mm -hmm. and makes an assumption. I, like so many parents of black kids, have to, that the, whole, the, the, the innocent act of getting a license mm -hmm. puts fear in our hearts. Would Malia and Sasha resist arrest? Would they? Forget about the loud music. Do they know how to talk to police? Hmm? You've been surrounded by law enforcement now for 13, 14 years, the Secret Service, men with guns, some of them white men, have been protecting you. Malia and Sasha wouldn't know how to act. This woman, Michelle Obama, had a father, an intact family. He was a janitor. Did he tell her to be afraid of cops? Cops are better now than they were in the 1960s, right? Back when she was born, when she was growing up in Chicago. Cops are better now across the board. They are. She got a scholarship to Princeton, a scholarship to Harvard Law School, and she's still venting about systemic racism. They're doing this for a reason, and I'm actually going to use a white man to demonstrate it. Bill de Blasio, mayor here in New York City, happens to have a black son. He's married to a black woman. Bill de Blasio used his son in a total scam, said that since his son had a be afraid of cops, well, I had to have that special talk with him. They put a campaign video back when he was first running. It was amazing, and it went over a lot of people, but it was all a lie. But he kept at it. This line is about money and power. There's something that sets me apart from all my colleagues running in this race, and that is for the last 21 years, I've been raising a black son in America. And I have had to have very, very serious talks with my son, Dante, about how to protect himself on the streets of our city and all over this country, including how to deal with the fact that he has to take special caution because there have been too many tragedies between our young men and our police. The threat from police against young black men of color is minuscule, is minuscule, minuscule. We've showed you the statistics a million times on this show. They are exaggerating, they are distorting, they are sensationalizing, and they're doing it for political gain. Now, after, by the way, he sold that uh, nonsense, he went on to ruin New York City. I mean, literally ruin it. 
Cops and community here in New York had a great relationship. When he came into office, approval rating of the police department here was at about 75%, no matter what your race, no matter where you came from. And all of that is gone. All right, back to Michelle, what's next? All those Black Lives Matters kids, they'd rather not have to worry about this. They're taken to the streets because they have to. They're trying to have people understand that, that we're real folks. And the fear that many have of so many of us is irrational. And it's based on a history that is just, it's sad and it's dark. And it's time for us to move beyond that. Look at her talk down America. This is the country, white people, made her first lady and her husband president twice, two terms. Again, she went to Princeton. Her husband went to Harvard. She went to Harvard. They have had a great life here in this country. They're now suddenly, essentially suddenly, telling us is systemically racist. How dare she talk down all of us? By the way, lots of people who voted for her husband twice did vote for Trump. They did. And that stuff about they have to take to the streets these Black Lives Matter kids. Do they have to do this? Do they have to intimidate even people of color? No, this is not about anything rational. This is about sometimes fun. Yeah, it's fun to riot. It's fun to loot. Urban historians and sociologists have known this for a long time. There's a classic book about all of this. The Unheavenly City, a big chapter in it. This is an academic book. It's considered a classic. Rioting, mainly for fun and profit. Hmm? All right. One more from Michelle. We have to talk about it more, and we have to ask our, our fellow citizens to listen a bit more mm -hmm. and to believe us. <laughs> that means basically uh, people not of color shut up and listen. No, that is not going to happen. Now, you can fool um, the left, you can fool liberal elites, you can fool Gail King, apparently, who's eating all of this stuff up and decoding Michelle for us. It's very rare for the two of them to issue a statement about anything. Right, they, try, right. they try very much not to get involved um, in a political way to speak, certainly against any party. They're very, very careful about that. <laughs> yes, Michelle Obama and Barack Obama are very, very emphatic about not getting involved in politics. Here's Michelle at the summer <laughs> convention. It is what it is, Michelle Obama, right. Very, very reluctant. Uh, but again, this stuff that they're saying uh, catches on with the left. Listen to this conversation that they had right after the interview. I thought what she it. said was very interesting when she said, you know, like it don't, they don't want to be out there marching. They got she's other things right they like to do. That, yeah. Yeah. You know, she's right about that. It's, yeah. it's like they're marching because, because, they're, because they're fearful. They're marching because they're fearful. They're marching because they're fearful. I actually met that guy a couple of times. He's not crazy. But look, why is he saying this stuff? Literally, so he can stay on the good side of Gail King. They're marching because they have to. They're marching because they have. Did they do this because they have to?
You see, uh, they're marching because they have to. They're marching because they have to. They have to steal people's food and get in their face and intimidate innocent people. They have to. All right, enough of that. Uh, one more comment from the uh, post-Michelle interview that I thought was interesting. Uh, this guy. You gotta question your assumptions. I mean, if, if you're working in law enforcement, if you're that person behind somebody in a vehicle, you've gotta ask yourself, is my first uh, idea here my best idea about what's going on? Hear that, everybody in law enforcement? Uh, some guy named Tony, who works at Channel 2 here in New York, CBS, says you gotta uh, question your first assumption. Uh, all right, well, let's, uh, man of experience, I'm sure, to say something like that, to tell law enforcement what they should do. Let's see here. He uh, started writing at a place called Wayback Info uh, in 2004. He worked there for a couple of years. Then he went to the Daily Beast. Oh, those guys, senior writer there. Uh, Random House. Uh, oh, he wrote a book called The Last Pirate. I don't think that was about law enforcement. Uh, went to NBC News for a couple of years, and he wrote there. And then they let him be on TV at MSNBC. So... Law enforcement, he must have picked up something about law enforcement over the years because he spoke with such confidence and we actually gave him a uniform. Uh, so we'll call him Officer Tony for now on around here. And uh, yeah, who are these people? Where do they get this confidence? Huh? He's going to tell law enforcement how to think. Don't trust your first impressions, cops. Back to Michelle. She's been protected by Secret Service now again for a dozen or so years. Protected everywhere she goes. Even post-presidency, she gets a great big entourage. And her husband, of course. You know, they made a documentary, and half of the documentary was them flaunting this status. They actually seemed to love it. And Michelle really likes having these guys around. Men with guns. Law enforcement. She's even fascinated by the guns. Listen to this. This is from her uh, film. She got many millions of dollars for this. It's uh, called Becoming Michelle. Listen. Everything okay, Alan? Yes, ma'am. One day I got to sit, like, and see how the sausage is made. <laughs> like, all the pre-stuff that goes into it, I, I'm just not a part of, you know. But I always ask questions, like I always want to know where the guns are. Because what if somebody really was trying to take me out? They'd take these two out first. I could get us to safety, Alan. You guys, I got you covered. I'm always thinking. Where the guns are? It must be sweet to have security paid for by the government for you and your entire family. And wherever you go, you're safe. That's good for you, Michelle. But the rest of us, we have to rely on the police. All communities, all communities. White, black, probably black communities more than any other community in this country. And we care about them, apparently more than you do. Black lives do matter. And that's why I am so incensed that Michelle and her husband are not aggressively pushing a more positive message. How about complying with police? Don't resist. Live to see your day in court. I have to do it on this channel, Newsmax. I'm proud to do it, but it should be everywhere. It should be ubiquitous. 
and black lives do matter. Apparently for them, for the Obamas, and for the far left, black lives only matter when the life is black and it's taken by a white cop. Well, that doesn't happen very often, actually. It doesn't, comparatively speaking. This is happening all the time, though. Children being killed, children of color, by other young people, often children of color. One of them, Devel Gard, 22 months old. Look at these pictures. He was shot and killed at a cookout a year ago. Now we bring this up because just this week, there has been an arrest. Now there was a horrible gunfight where this happened here in New York City uh, in July of last year. Shots flying all over the neighborhood. Uh, Devel, his uh, family, they were gathered outside on the sidewalk and the little boy was killed. We have a 25-year-old in custody at this point. His name is Deshaun Austin. There's his stroller. Uh, Mr. Austin, finally in custody after all this time, is the suspect. He was a member of something called the Hooli Gang. And the Hoolies have been, well, out of control here in New York City. But Black Lives Matter doesn't really talk about any of this, do they? They're only focused when the cops are involved and when that cop is white. And you know who doesn't like this at all? Devell's grandmother. And they talk about Black Lives Matter. How is mattering? I, I don't see the point. Like, shooting is still going on. People are still, you know, doing crazy things out here. Devell, your life does matter. Your life did matter. And it's too bad that we will continue to lose children if this country does it get serious about some fundamental issues and we be finally, fully, and completely honest with each other. I'll be right back. Information. Truth. Is power. Is freedom is money, is health, is Newsmax. Millions watch it for free. So can you. No paywall, no subscription. Newsmax is real news for real people. All I, All I can, can say is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? All right, they don't. And I got to go back one more time to that uh, Michelle Obama interview from this morning. They were celebrating all things former First Lady, including her new uh, Netflix cartoon slash puppet show. She is now the star and the executive producer of the Netflix show Waffles and Mochi. This children's program is terrific. It focuses on teaching kids the value of healthy eating by sharing stories and traditions from around the world. But Monday, only on CBS This Morning, she's going to reveal Waffles and Mochi's next adventure. These two are very, very busy. Wow. The star and the EP. I've been in television for 20 years. I didn't get to be a EP of a Netflix show. But anyway, good for her. She's got celebrity. Um, but that does not make her a good filmmaker. No way. Uh, I haven't seen Waffles and Mochi. But I did see Becoming Michelle uh, or Becoming. 
Your Story is Your Power is the subtitle. This is her uh, first project for Netflix, documentary about her. And uh, you tell me, does she have talent as a filmmaker? Oh, great. This is an actual scene. We didn't cut it. We didn't try to make it look worse. This is actually what happened. Take a look. Oh, I thought you were wearing the pink, John. No, that was for That's earlier, like and then that had food on it. <laughs> that was for the day. That looks like two belts. It's one belt, but it's three separate. Oh, it's got a top belt, too. Oh, I see, I see. But it's not separated? No, it's one belt, but you buckle it three different times. And is that the style to have your belt so high now? Is that the style? I don't know. We People, don't. I don't. So I, don't I, I don't. I don't. I just asked. Don't buy it. That was the style. Oh, oh, you. Yes. you. I, I, no. Zip it. Let's go. That was a compliment. Just, I like no, the no, belt no. up that high. Amazing. The cinematography too. Wow. Huh. Um, it's terrible. Now, while she's in that special, special world, the rest of us are confronting issues in the real world, and we're talking about them in a real way. Um, George Floyd, as you know, resisted arrest. We all saw that. What also happened to George Floyd was awful, horrendous, and should not have happened. Um, I accept the jury's verdict, and I think everybody should, actually. Um, isn't that fair? Okay. So why can't we talk about this case fully and honestly? What you're about to see is a potentially fireable offense a teacher in Alaska, let's see here, her name is Gardner, was on a Zoom call, we're all doing Zoom these days in class, and she offered this idea about, or these thoughts on the George Floyd case. I do not agree that Derek, that the Chauvin guy was right. I think he abused his authority, and I think that he, that he, went too far and I think that he was complicit in George Floyd's death. I think there were many factors that contributed to it and that was one of them. But if George Floyd had at the beginning when they got him out of the car and went to put him in the police car if he had just sidled into the car and slid in there and got, you know, let them put his legs in, he would be alive today. And you know that's true. Totally reasonable, right? I mean, that's, uh, that's a reasonable, valid point of view. Take a look at this headline, please. Fairbanks teacher on leave after racially insensitive comments on George Floyd in class. Uh, her name, we believe, is Connie Gardner, and for what she said and what she's also about to say has her now essentially on probation. They're reviewing, and maybe she's going to get terminated. Listen to this. Justly or unjustly, if the cops come and they say, I'm taking you to jail, then you put your hands behind your back, you let them off you, you get in the cop car, and you go and call your parents when they give you your phone call. That's what you do to stay alive. Everybody, white, black, brown, I don't care what color you are. Totally reasonable again. An academic setting, a public school academic setting. Now it's on Zoom. 
and one of the students has a tutor named Liz. Uh, reportedly, Liz speaks up that she's not comfortable. Uh, let's see, and then a mother chimes in and says that uh, Miss Gardner here should, be, should not be speaking about these topics as a white woman. Some of the things you are saying I feel like you are very uneducated on, and I don't feel like you are able to address these things that are going on today because she faced racism herself growing up in the South as a woman of color. You should stop this conversation, period. That's what they want to do. They want to stop this conversation, period. Connie Gardner, we are with you. Uh, we've got to stay on this case and do whatever we can all the way up there in Alaska. This is America. This is not the Soviet Union in 1975, okay? It's hideous, ridiculous that they are, we are having these conversations in America in 2021, having conversations about a teacher who gets removed for saying some obvious truths. And you're supposed to say things that are uncomfortable in class sometimes. All right, we have this, and this is actually kind of funny. It's also sparked by a sad and tragic incident, however. Makia Bryant, remember this in Ohio, woman with a knife and we don't have to show the whole thing. You know what happened here, pink sweatsuit, she was about to be stabbed. And she wasn't. We can stop it right there, okay? You know what happened. It was awful. Uh, but it was necessary. That was a justified use of force. LeBron James, the basketball player, didn't think so. He put out that tweet, that crazy tweet, your next accountability. That was the officer, Officer Reardon, who fired the shot that saved the woman in the tracksuit. Well, the whole country talked about this for a while, and one police officer up in Idaho put something together that is totally brilliant. His name is Nate Sylvester. There's a good chance you saw this. It was going, it's been around for a few days, but I think it's, it's brilliant and funny. Um, listen to this. Dispatch, I've arrived at that disturbance. We have LeBron call my cell phone right away, please. Thank you. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me. No, can you put the knife down, please, sir? Sir, no, 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 sir, don't stab it. No, no, stop stabbing. Stop. Oh, hold on. Hold on, it's LeBron. LeBron, hey, yeah, it's me again. Listen, I'm out here at this disturbance call and there's a guy trying to stab another guy with a knife. What do you think I should do? Why does that matter? Okay, uh, well, they're both black. One guy's trying to stab another guy with a knife. Deadly force is completely justified. Uh-huh, I see. So you don't care if a black person kills another black person, but you do care if a white cop kills a black person, even if he's doing it to save the life of another black person? I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but then again, you are really good at basketball, so I guess I'll take your word for it. All right, yep, okay. All right, thanks, LeBron. Uh, Michael Jordan's the GOAT. What? Nothing, I gotta go. Sorry, guys, you're on your own. Good luck. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. Nate Sylvester. Oh, that got him in trouble, by the way. Yes, oh, can't be doing that. Can't say truth like that. Can't put it on social media, can you? You're just a cop. I'm glad he did. Yes, he was suspended or uh, put on leave or told not to come to work. He got in some hot water for this, but he's back on the job, and he's got a book deal we're hearing. After viral TikTok suspension, Idaho Deputy Marshal signs book deal and keeps his job. And Nate Sylvester will be on this show next week. We're doing some good things here. I think you should watch all the time and tell your friends. I'll be right back. Information. Truth is freedom. Is Newsmax.
It's real news for real people. Emerald Robinson is standing by, our White House correspondent. We've been looking at this. Who's really in charge of the White House? Because we know it's not Joe Biden. And uh, it gets kind of complicated. Emerald, welcome back. How are you? What's going on? Thanks, Greg. So all week, as you said, we've been looking at different aspects of the White House and who's running it from Joe Biden's relatively light schedule on most days to the vice president's increased role, as well as some of those other former Obama administration players who are now part of the Biden administration. So I thought as a part of our series, when I was the White House press briefing room today, I would ask Jen Psaki about what a lot of people say and a lot of the question that's been asked in outlets, even left-leaning outlets like The Hill and New York Times. Is this a former President Obama's third term? Well, she deflected on that. She asked who was saying that and didn't give an answer on that. And then I asked her about Vice President Kamala Harris and the unprecedented moves she's been making. And here's how that exchange went, Greg. On the one and only so far in-person bilateral head of state meeting, it was Vice President Kamala Harris who greeted the prime minister, and many people found that odd. She's already taking independent one-on-one calls with key allies like Prime Minister Morrison and Justin Trudeau. So I just want to get your reaction to people who question that. Well, it's hard to react when I don't know what people you're talking about. I will say that the president met with the prime minister, as you know, and had a full meeting, a full press conference afterwards, and they even shared a meal. So, uh, and the president has had dozens of conversations and calls with world leaders and should be no surprise that the vice president is also playing an important role engaging with and having discussions with foreign leaders. So Greg, Jen Saki telling me she can't react as if she doesn't know exactly who's saying that, but a simple Google or Twitter search would tell her exactly who has been saying that. Also, I'll just let you know to wrap this whole series up. My colleagues at the White House, many of them, the senior level, uh, senior correspondents at their outlets have deferred to their less senior colleagues in allowing them to cover President Joe Biden. And they instead put more focus on the vice president, Kamala Harris, as one uh, uh, White House senior level White House correspondent at a major outlet said to me, she said, quote, unquote, it's only a matter of time. Greg? Uh, all, the whole thing is weird. Uh, Emerald Robinson, we appreciate it so much. Thank you very much, our uh, White House correspondent Thanks. down there in D.C. Uh, Jason Miller joins us, senior advisor to the 45th president. That's kind of an interesting role, big time. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But, uh, Jason, first of all, welcome to Newsmax. Hey, you're a Newsmax contributor, and uh, welcome to the show as a Newsmax contributor. How are you, pal? Greg, I'm doing great. So look, just your sense overall, what really is going on in this White House? It seems like Joe is totally not in charge. He's along for the ride, and other people seem to be calling the shots. Well, in fairness to the vice president, she's the only one who's awake by, say, 10 a.m. or so. So, of course, she's going to take a lot of those international phone calls. Uh, you know, I've said previously before that Kamala Harris is Joe Biden's political living will. He said that he's a transition candidate who's just here to move it along to the next generation. I do think that's probably going to be sooner rather than later. I don't see any circumstance where Joe Biden is on the ballot for the Democrats in 2024. But and here's where I think people really need to realize the, the importance of this. Uh, Kamala Kamala Harris doesn't just play liberal on TV. She is the real deal liberal. Everything from bailing out the rioters in Minneapolis to supporting mental health funding as a form of reparations to the AOC version of the Green New Deal. She is a 
real deal believer in these wacko liberal policies. So where Joe Biden might get out there, it's really Kamala Harris. This is this is personal for her. So uh, it is wild. It is incredible that it's happening. And obviously, when Donald Trump was in the Oval Office, you knew he was running things. I mean, there was no it was him, whether you liked him or not. By the way, what is your role like now? Tell us about that. You're advising. You're the senior advisor to the former president of the United States. It's a different job, but still, I'm sure, a fascinating one. Uh, it's a lot of fun, so get this opportunity to continue working with President Trump. So we usually connect uh, most every morning, somewhere between 7, 8 a.m., talk about the news for the day, what's going on, what we, what message we want to drive, what we might want to respond to. Uh, also takes a number of political dynamics. You know, President Trump is going to be endorsing a lot more candidates as we head towards 2022. We want to win back the House, want to win back the Senate. And the most recent endorsement, which I'm a big fan of, is Elise Stefanik, the congresswoman from upstate New York, who who's going to be running against Liz Cheney next week for the GOP chair, uh, House chair. And we think this is a real important one, not just because Liz Cheney has sided with Nancy Pelosi on these key things, but Cheney's advocacy for these forever wars, these permanent wars. And you know what? I think Liz Cheney may have actually found the first war that she regrets getting into. <laughs> hey, real quick. Um, the president is still in Mar-a-Lago, Palm Beach, but it gets very hot down there. And I believe generally he comes up north, New York, Bedminster, where is he going to spend most of the next uh, six months, five months or so? Well, as you know, it's almost snowbird season here, usually yeah. about uh, Mother's Day until about Halloween or so, usually the stretch where most of Palm Beach shuts down. Uh, although I have heard that the Breakers uh, has a great summer membership, although I don't live in Palm Beach and uh, maybe can't quite uh, yet afford the Breakers. But uh, if you live in Palm Beach and need a place to go, I heard they're open during the summer. We're going to see the president back up at Bedminster, already starting to line up a number of golf fundraisers, things to help other candidates. So we're going to be pretty active on that. And you know what? I think we'll probably see him at Trump Tower a decent amount too. That's my my own hunch. Uh, he loves that building. He loves the view. And you know what? It's the center of the, the uh, universe. Uh, center of the universe? Okay. Well, I know he built it. It's his pride and joy. And you know what? I actually met him there in 1987. Uh, I almost forgot about that for a while. But yes, it's true. Back in 1987 when Art of the Deal came out. Uh, Jason Miller, we appreciate it so much. Senior advisor to the 45th president of the United States and Newsmax contributor to be continued, sir. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back. To me, this looks like a classic farm. Uh, it really does. This is in Minnesota. It's John Stevens Farm. I have a lot of respect for farmers. I mean, wow, what they do. Although, quite frankly, I think I've been on like maybe two farms in my entire life. Still, much respect. And during COVID, things had to be really tough on the farm. You know, there's a program in the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. Uh, a lot of this was designed for uh, COVID relief. But get this, if you look at this part, uh, there was an plan to provide aid to farmers and ranchers who have been harmed by the COVID-19 pandemic, but only if they qualify as a socially disadvantaged farmer or rancher. Socially disadvantaged farmer or rancher? Well, this being the government, they have a, everything's covered here. Take a look at this. The definition, the official definition, according to the legislation of socially disadvantaged, the term means a group whose members have been subjected to racial or ethnic prejudice 
because of their identity as members of a group without regard to their individual qualities. They've racialized this. All farmers need help in my book, and if they're qualified because of their farms or their situation, they should get it. This says you gotta look a certain way. The whole thing seems ridiculous. I'd like to introduce you to John Stevens. He is a Minnesota farmer, and he is suing. He is suing the government over this, along with Rick Essenberg. He is the president of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. Uh, look, admittedly, as I said, I've never been on a farm, and these niche issues are new to me. But, John, did we get all that right? And it seems kind of crazy. What do you grow on your farm, first of all? Um, we, we have conventional, you know, your normal corn and soybeans, and then a lot of hay and uh, some small grains. And then we're growing a retail beef herd uh, for, for direct-to-consumer marketing. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, seriously, thank you. I mean, some, the whole system relies on on guys like you. So, John, uh, what happened during COVID and uh, how were you possibly discriminated against? This stuff does seem inherently discriminatory. Well, this is this is just silly. The, the fact that agriculture is now uh, a place for this kind of stuff Um I mean, it's just discrimination. We're we're, ba we're judging based on color and without qualifying. Uh, COVID, COVID was a little bit of a, a challenge as as a small business, as a farm. Um, you know, I, we got hurt in 2019. We had a tornado wipe out uh, a lot of our acres in 2019. That that kind of hurt some too. And then you got some the price prices moving all around. Um, it, it's just a goofy business all around. Um, and then you throw in the COVID on there and, and the way the trade deals and all that things go down, so it doesn't make it easier. So the government was offering, let's see here, uh, those harmed by the COVID-19 pandemic uh, loan forgiveness up to 120% of the value of the loan, but only if they qualify as that socially disadvantaged farmer or rancher. Rick, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not the lawyer, you are, but that sounds like uh, discrimination to me. What is discrimination? And let's make clear what it isn't. This is not a method to compensate individual black farmers who were discriminated against in the past. This is handing out a government benefit uh, based upon nothing but the color of your skin. There is no need for any black farmer or Hispanic farmer to show that they were the victims of discrimination. This is pure racial favoritism. And our courts have made clear for a long time now that that um, does not pass constitutional muster. And uh, it's unfortunate that um, people like John have to step up and, uh, and, and sue their government, but um, apparently that's what it's come to, uh, because this type of uh, racial discrimination is, is absolutely wrong, and the courts have been making that clear for a number of years now. Well, look, I know you're stepping up, but there are others as well, and it's great that you have Stephen Miller, uh, senior advisor to former President Trump. He was in the White House. Uh, they're filing a class action suit along these lines. Listen to this, please. When it comes to getting financial aid, it shouldn't matter what race or ethnicity you are. You can't make a more equal country. You can't make a more unified country if we split and divide based on race. That policy is illegal, and America First Legal has just filed suit in Texas. All right. America first. Very important foundation. Stephen Miller. So uh, be looking for that. You've got some support. I only got about 15 seconds left. 
John, how are the crops looking for uh, the summer? Or what, 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 what's what's on your plate? We had another hard frost this morning, and so we're just trying to get going on planting. Um, we're we're not late, but it's it's not. We we could use some warm weather to get going. Yeah, Minnesota, it's still cold up there. Wow. Uh, well, John, uh, have a great season. And we appreciate what you do and what you're doing. John Stevens, Minnesota farmer and plaintiff, and Rick Essenberg, president of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Thank you both. Good luck. Stay in touch, okay? Thank, Thank you, you very much. You bet. You bet. Hey, Grant Stinchfield is standing by with a preview. Grant, how are you? Ever yeah. spend much time on you a farm? Well, uh, I used to spend time on horse farms uh, where I grew up, not far from there. And then um, I got a lot of friends who own some ranches here in Texas. And, you know, talk about what you're talking about. They're considering these lawsuits, too, here in Texas. There are a lot of ranchers, ranching cattle here, that would be hurt by all of this. But this all gets back to what I'm talking about tonight, Greg. The soul of our party, the Republican Party, the fight is on. And this whole issue over Liz Cheney. Uh, I'm going to run down the voting record of her potential replacement. Stone supporter of President Trump, but her voting record doesn't look so great when you get down to, to it. So uh, we're going to look at that tonight on the show. All right, Grant, sounds good. I'll be watching, as I always do, by the way. Good stuff. See you later, and we'll Thank be right you, back. Buddy. Hey, Andrew, Joe Biden, the economy is really... Not coming back. <laughs> uh, let's see. April jobs report. It was anticipated by uh, the economists and the futurists and all those guys that we would have added one million jobs last month. But in actuality, now that we have the report, it comes out on the Friday, we got 266,000. That's not good. Let's hear Joe Biden spin his way out of this one. You might think that we should be disappointed. But when we passed the American Rescue Plan, I want to remind everybody, it was designed to help us over the course of a year, not 60 days, a year. We never thought that after the first 50 or 60 days, everything would be fine. Today, there's more evidence that our economy is moving in the right direction. But it's clear we have a long way to go. Mm, that American Rescue Plan. Can't wait for that American Rescue Plan. Yeah. All right. I want to bring in the experts, though, shall we? Doug Weed, presidential historian, former advisor to President George H.W. Bush, and Craig Shirley, Reagan biographer, uh, presidential historian. First, uh, that's bad, and I don't know if this uh, uh, rescue plan he uh, is so excited about is all that. Gentlemen, you first, Craig. What do you think? I think it's a pathetic number, and it's indicative that his policies aren't working. Look, he came in, and he took all sorts of credit for all the things that Trump had done. He took credit for himself falsely, and has been taking credit for himself in his administration. It's barely at a level to keep the economy going, much less to keep the, to expand the economy. I heard some predictions of, over, of 2 million jobs created in this month, and now he's trying to spin it. Uh, in overtime saying, oh, my plan is for the next year. Well, so far for the first 100 days, it's been a pathetic failure. He's been a pathetic failure. You know, the way he spun it, too, it was so kind of uh, Doug obtuse. We just saw the number. We know what it is. And for him to kind of spin, I think it showed a, a remarkably uh, adept man at deception. You know, that wasn't that wasn't leveling with the American people. 
Well, it's a lot easier for him to deceive when he's got the national media running cover for him. So it doesn't take too much of a genius. Anything good happens, he takes credit for it. Look what I did. Anything bad happens, he can say, I couldn't help it. Donald Trump, (laughs) it's Donald Trump's fault. I think what was particularly troubling with these numbers and has to be somewhat humiliating is the low numbers for African-American employment. That's got to be scary. Even the jobs that he is creating and has created have come back, have been mostly white and have been very disappointing, the high unemployment numbers among African-Americans. That's Mm -hmm. Remember, that was Donald Trump saying, I've done more for African-Americans than any president since Abraham Lincoln. Oh, how they hate that. But oh, how true it was. Uh, Gentlemen, National Prayer Day has been around for decades, I think since the 1950s. Peculiar thing, it's kind of almost a formality. The president signs a proclamation about National Prayer Day, and it was noticed, I think we might have the document, that nobody, nowhere in the document does it mention uh, God. That is uh, rather interesting, unusual, and uh, I don't know if it's significant. Something tells me it just might be. No mention of God on National Prayer Day. Uh, Craig, your thoughts? It's, uh, it's on purpose. You know, Reagan used to describe the Soviet Union as a god- godless communist state. Well, here in America today, we have a man leading a godless communist state. It's quite deliberate. God wasn't mentioned because God is not important to them. They want people to worship Biden and they want people to worship government. They don't want people worshiping God, a separate and independent en- entity that they can't control. Hey, you know what was in there? Uh, things about global warming and uh, social justice and racial reckoning. Can you believe that? I mean, not no God, but they're yes. talking about uh, climate change. Uh, the, the, you're right. This is on purpose and is very disturbing. One thing I say is that National Day of Prayer. Yeah. Who do you pray to? But God, uh, and they, they don't mention the man you pray to. It's ridiculous. It it, it totally is. Uh, <laughs> All right, gentlemen, look, I'm sorry we're out of time. Uh, We went long earlier, uh, but to be continued soon. Doug Weed, Craig Shirley, we thank you very much. I'll be back with the final word in a moment. China's space program, I am not impressed. They're just now building uh, a space station. We did that a long time ago. We've been to the moon. We've got a helicopter on Mars. And did you hear about this? A great big chunk of this rocket is about to fall back to Earth, way bigger than it should be. Did they design it this way? It's supposed to break up into little pieces. This thing is 10 stories tall and um, like 50 tons or something like that. Could land anywhere where it's red. Be careful. Have a great weekend. And we thank you so much.